0: Welcome to the Girl Vibes Only podcast with your host, Lauren Mancini. Love that for us. Please help a girl out. (laughs) I don't want to be an adult. And Anna Marie Warrington. I have two shots, I'm done for the night. Can I get another one sandwich? No pickles. I fucked up. large into my normal introduction. I'm I know, sorry. that's okay. Um, so welcome to the Last episode so of sad. our Halloween special. This week was way more fun than I thought. Yeah, I give you credit. Thank for you. The idea. It was so much fun, and I'm so excited about this episode because yes. if you haven't heard me and Lauren talk like in the past, like Lauren and I are huge crime junkie, mm-hmm. um, like crime podcast listeners. That's um, like how we both got into podcasts. Yeah, pretty much like listening to crime. Yeah, and so I just like. I just think it's so interesting. Um, I love topics like this, and it's been a dream of mine to host some sort of a murder mystery podcast, something like that. So, Laura and I have actually researched our own murder mystery um, that is honestly a mystery. um, Yeah. And we researched it, so, we're going to be giving you the story of um, Marianne Mitchell. And mm-hmm. it's actually crazy because this is a story that like hits home for us because yeah. it happened in Maniunk, which it's is local. It's very, very local. Um, Maniunk is where I currently live. Um, it's like a city in the city of Philadelphia. It's its mm-hmm. own like little town, but um, a lot of the streets and towns and stuff that a lot of the events of this murder happened are like local to us it was so creepy like my street that I live on was brought up at some points in my research which is so creepy that is so yeah there's like a lot of um and like when I was researching about everything that happened um like the streets and everything that they named and like you know how she got to where she was going I'm like oh my gosh I know exactly where that is like I know what they're talking about so it's just kind of eerie yeah um to and they, think they about. drop a lot of cities that we're familiar with mm-hmm. and that I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to be familiar with yeah just from being around the area exactly but like, this was actually in the 1950s right yes 1950s so it happened a while ago yeah um but I think it's a really interesting case especially for being like so close to home and you know right by us. So it's really great. I can't take credit for this case. Actually, mm-hmm. my um uncle, who he was a correctioner officer at um Rockview um institution, which is out like in like state college area, um, he was a corrections officer there. And he um was always fascinated by this case and was telling me about it like months ago, actually got me a book on it. So that's where I did a lot of my mm-hmm. research. But um Basically, the man who was convicted of killing Marion Mitchell was the last person to ever be executed in the state of Pennsylvania, yeah. which is so in, crazy. In an electric chair, yeah, in an electric chair, and it happened at Rockview, which is the um, prison he worked at. So, so crazy. yeah, so crazy. Um, so, when he was, you know, looking at this case and stuff, he obviously knows I live in Maniunk. So, um, we were talking about it. So, that's the inspiration behind this episode. But I guess we can just like jump yeah, right in. Just don't- Jump in. Okay, so let me set the scene for you. So, Marianne Mitchell, she was a um, 16-year-old girl who lived in Manyunk, PA. She was an only child. Um, she was her, had her um, parents. They were lived in the small town of Maniunk. Um, They were, you know, Catholic. Family went to church every weekend. Um, She was described as a really sweet redheaded girl. She was always laughing with her friends. She liked to go into the movies, going to dances that the local churches would put on for like, you know, the local teenagers, everything like that. She had a ton of friends in the neighborhood. um, And, you know, she was just like your normal average 16-year-old girl living her life, going to school, coming home, helping her parents. Her family was in like spitting distance of her, like her entire family lived in Maniunk. So, um, you know, very much like a small town feel. So, yeah. So what does Maniunk look like at this point? So it's like... I imagine it still looks the way it does now, because if you see Manioc now, it clearly hasn't been updated in ages. Which I like, though. It gives it, like, a nice homey – it does feel like small-town, like, vibes. Exactly. Like, it's not a city, but it's historic. Yeah, very. Um, So Manioc at the time, it's, like, a little community nestled in northwest corner of Philadelphia between Center City and Montgomery County. Um, it's all row homes, which is where I currently live. Um, it's built on the hills steeping towards the Schuylkill River and Ridge Avenue, which is an iconic road by us. You take Ridge to get basically everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows everyone. Um, parents were a parent to every kid there. So parents were constantly looking out for all of the neighborhood children. So it's just very much a small town feel. Um, I imagine I was really trusting back then too. Yeah. I mean, because just if you guys are familiar with the area, it is so close knit and um, there's like, churches on like every corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's seems literally safe. churches like on every corner. Like when we're walking in my neighborhood, there's we pass like five churches. Yeah. Like that, beautiful. That's not even a joke. Like we literally there's churches everywhere. I look out my back window and we can see like the clock tower too. Um to one of like the biggest churches in the area. Um, everyone who, basically there's two kind of groups that ran in Maniunk at the time. There was the public school kids and the Catholic school kids. And they um, identified each other as the publics and the Catholics. So they didn't really inter, intermix too much. Um, they would at dances sometimes when the church would hold like community dances. But other than that, they pretty much stuck to their own you know community. And was Marianne considered a public or she was a Catholic? she was a Catholic she was Catholic yes um and everyone in the town was considered themselves Yunkers um this is a term that's still used today um in the town of Mannheim that's we, so funny that yeah that existed people, all the way back then yeah um people like they call them Yunkers stuff like that um and so during this time you know this was 1959 was the year. But um, it was in the fall of when or winter when all this happened. Um, things that were going on on the TV there was I Love Lucy, Gunsmoke, Perry Mansion, Walt Disney Presents. So, you know, all of the like, I mean, I know my parents are a little older, but like all of these shows when I read about it are all shows that like my parents always talk about. They had Barbie dolls, green plastic soldiers. Um, it was during the time of like, you know, getting home from war and like GI Joes were big back mm-hmm. then and everything like that. So very much, that's kind of like what was going on at the time. Um, people loved going to the Roxy, which is also mm-hmm. a building that I pass all the time, but it it is um, like a, A theater there like a movie theater was it a theater back then too yes Um, and so that's kind of like what's going on setting the scene so basically the day that we're talking about is monday december 28th um so this is right after the holidays yes well right right after christmas but right before new year's um so it's a time where like you're spending time with family lots is going on and it's winter time so there's snow everywhere especially in maniunk if you are familiar It is a mess in the winter on snow. because Very chilly also. Yes. Like I said, Maniunk is built into a hill. So it's super slippery. um, And I can imagine cars back then probably weren't running too smoothly on the hills of Maniunk. Because my car doesn't run too smooth on the hills of Maniunk. And it's 2020. don't think they really had snow tires (laughs) back then. No, no, no. So um, to give you an idea of what Miriam was wearing, she wore a green wool pleated skirt, a wide black leather belt, a gold blouse and a green corduroy jacket around her head. She wore a flowered scarf and on her feet, she wore gray leather Peter gun shoes. Um, Marianne also carried a large Brown leather handbag with her that evening. That was actually a gift she had received for Christmas from one of her friends. Um, so basically day started out. Normally Marianne woke up, um, went downstairs, had breakfast with her family, Um, Had a day, you know, hanging out with friends. Ended up going to a dance at the Holy Family Church with her one friend. Um, They actually danced at these dances. Like, she brought ballet slippers Oh, it was like a dance. It was like a dance (laughs) dance. So she went to this dance, brought her ballet slippers to to change into when she got there. Danced with friends. Her friend ended up not having a bag with her. So her friend put her dance slippers in Marianne's big leather bag that she was carrying around. Um, So this is just important to mention right now um, she went back home and picked up christmas gifts like i said her family all lived in the same area so her parents gave them or gave her the christmas gifts she was going to be giving to her aunt mm-hmm. for the holiday season so she picked up the christmas gifts at home went to her aunt's house spent some time with her aunt Gave her aunt and uncle like their presents from her family and then also received a bunch of presents from her aunt that she then put in the leather bag that I'm talking about. Um, after that, she left and met up with friends at the Roxy where they had at a the movie theater, yes, right? The movie theater. I remember. Um, where they went to see South Pacific, which was a. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so her and friends went to watch South Pacific, have a nice night out of the movie theaters after um the movies they uh went to collar's kitchen which is on henry avenue which is a very i'm on henry all the time um it's now called chubby steaks which is funny because we order from there all the time <laughs> so um it used to be back in the day collar's kitchen um they sat had a dinner at collar's kitchen um and then at 10 20 the girl said goodbye um her friend connie and Marianne walked towards Jamestown Street, which is a also popular street in within our friend group um Marianne crossed he- hen- Henry Ave walking towards the bus stop which is where she had planned to get on the bus and um get back home to her home in Maniunk um right now but when I read that it's just so weird to me because I'm like she got on a bus to get home that's like right why in Maniunk why is she taking the train I'm confused <laughs> well no like Maniunk I couldn't imagine taking a bus right now to get home but oh she didn't yeah. have a car and so she wasn't yeah. gonna walk like I wouldn't walk anywhere that's up really true that's- yeah. that's that she needed the bus. Yeah. So I was like, the bus, it's not that far. But hey, back in the day, like she wasn't yeah. driving around in a car or anything like that. Um, So that's basically the last time anyone saw Marianne Mitchell. And so I feel like doing some research on this, I remember hearing something about Collar's Kitchen. Yeah. And the owners knew Marianne, right? Yes. So like I said, small town feel. So the um, owners of Collar's Kitchen knew Marianne, knew her family, knew all the friends she was with that night. So, like it wasn't just some random girl coming into the diner to have dinner, right. like very much new Marianne would definitely look out for her, like I said, the parents of one or the parents of all kids, so I can't imagine they would ever if they saw anything suspicious if they saw anything suspicious that night, I would assume they would either try to intervene or something right. happen so and I feel like when stories like this and mysteries like you always go back to like where was the last place she was exactly but here she was somewhere safe it wasn't like she was at a new person's house yeah or visiting a random friend yeah she was at a diner she probably went to it a lot of times yeah and you know like at this time in maniunk and this time in the u.s things like that like disappearances and like kidnappings things like that they weren't like Not that they they were a huge deal, but they didn't happen like they do now. Um, Like, again, back in the 50s, like, especially in a place like Manioc, like, they're keeping their doors unlocked at this point. exactly. Which I know you would never do now. Never do now. (laughs) But super, super trusting. So the idea of something like this happening is just, like, mind-blowing. So basically, like I said, 1020, the girl said goodbye. Marianne was set to get on a bus to go home for the evening. That ended up not happening, and that was the last time Marian Mitchell was seen, um, or seen alive, I should say. At around like t- uh, twelve thirty after midnight, um, Marianne's family is growing increasingly, you know, nervous that Marianne hasn't come home. They're freaking out. Their only child at this point they believe is missing. So and they, she seems like a girl that would be like pretty prompt. Yeah, like she was definitely like, like get like home at mm-hmm, type girl. Exactly. Um, she was a really well behaved girl. Everyone loved her. She wasn't up into mischief. She was part of her Girl Scout troop. Um, she was very active in their church community. Her friends were the same way. So she wasn't one to get into trouble. So her parents, definitely after midnight, when yeah. you were spending a whole day out, I'd be alarmed too. Exactly. So the minute after the Mitchells called the police and report Mary and, Mitching, and report Mary and Mitchell, <laughs> what happened later would literally change the town forever. Um, the next day, they're still can't find marianne search groups are going out everyone is the town ta- in the town is looking for marianne um you know like i said small town no one knew what happened this is such a crazy thing like this doesn't happen especially in Maniung. so it really threw the town for a loop um everyone was searching for her for the next two days Two days later, on Wednesday, December 30th, 1959, Marianne's body was found by the Whitemore Township Highway Department. Um, It was a work crew, and they saw a spot of green in a muddy gully five feet off from the road, which is kind of crazy because, you know, People had been searching for Marianne, so the fact that two days later she was just kind of found, laid like out, five feet from yeah, the road. from the road, like someone could have easily within the past two days have driven by and seen. Yeah. Um. So she was on this day. Daniel McGowan walked into the goalie for a closer look because, like I said, it was five feet off. They just saw like this green splotch in the dirt in and dirt. I'm assuming this guy Daniel is the worker that found yes. her. Mm-hmm. he's the um, highway patroller worker. And he obviously knew like everything that was going on. Um, The spot of green was rain soaked clothing on the body of a young woman. Her head and face were covered in blood. Her arms and legs were posed in an outstretched position on her finger. There was an amethyst ring and a high school ring as well. She was wearing nylon stockings attached to a portion of a garter belt. Her feet were shoeless. Her underpants were draped over her right arm. Her green jumper was pulled up past her chest, exposing her naked lower body. On her abdomen was written in what appeared to be her own red lipstick, the letters TB and 101. And then an arch was drawn above her pubic area with lines radiating from it. There was also a Coke soda can bottle inside the girl's vagina and a portion of a tree branch protruded out of her rectum oh my god yeah super super gruesome like sick whoever did this absolutely sick that that's insane like i have chills (laughs) it's just gross and like like a soda can like a coke can like what and obviously these things weren't just like the police are basically saying these things were like positioned in her this wasn't just like you know leaves in her hair stuff like that like Whoever's pretty on purpose. Yeah. And I feel like from all my years of listening to podcasts like this or watching like criminal minds, when someone's writing something on you, that's like a message exactly. Yeah. So the body was found, and um, in an autopsy report, it was found that it was um, Marianne Mitchell. Um, And you know, by the class ring, everything like that, what she was wearing, and the missing persons report, um, it was Marianne. Um, so basically in the autopsy report, uh, the report reads that the girl, um, the girl died of a fractured skull and severe slashings of the brain. She also had been ruptured in two places, um, probably referencing the Coke bottle and the tree branch. Her knees were bruised and there was a bruise on her right wrist as if, um, a car door had been closed on it. She had been dead for about 10 or 12 hours when she was found. Um. So, it, ha- it had to have happened, like, earlier that morning. Which explains why people couldn't find her right away if she really was only five feet from that road. Exactly. Um. So, basically, that timeline means that she had to have been taken, missing, was taken for a while, was beaten to death, everything like that, and then placed in that area later. So, she didn't die there. Um, the girl died almost instantly from a fatal blow to her head, and she could not have lived any longer than an hour after being hit that hard. Um, so, basically, after all of this happened and the autopsy report came out, the entire, like, plate, like all of Maniunk, all of Montgomery County, the entire Philadelphia area was shook by this. It was just like. I would be too. Yeah, they couldn't believe it, especially how gruesome it was. You know, they hadn't seen crimes like that. It was just so crazy. Um, So the entire town was just like in an uproar. Everyone was super nervous. They didn't know how to handle the situation. This gruesome killer was out free. No one knew what to do and everyone trusted each other. So the idea that someone in this town could have done this to one of their own was just sickening. So basically, the only person that was right for the job was Captain Clarence Ferguson, who was the head of special investigations unit in Philadelphia. And Clarence had um, a reputation. Huh. He was a like special kind of investigative, um, you know, captain. And I have highlighted in this book um, basically his how people described him so lar if you want to read the description sure so clarence ferguson's special investigation squad a group of empowered untouchable unquestionable detectives who were young and cocky notoriously referred to as fergie's boys ferguson himself was larger than life character who was identifiable by his trademark pork pie hat A veteran of World War I and at the time of the murder, having served the city of Philadelphia continuously for 41 years, Clarence Ferguson could rightfully boast of having the longest length of service of any man in the Philadelphia Police Department. He was also the recipient of the Gangbuster Award for being the outstanding detective in the nation in 1955. He was also the biggest man in police work in the whole United States of America. Wow. <laughs> so some big shoes. Um, basically, everyone thought like if there was a man for the job, it's going to be Captain Ferguson. Um, he was the guy to do it. And, you know, he was cocky. He had an air about him that he could figure anything out. So naturally, so if you're the captain of the special investigations unit in your hometown and something like this terrible happens, um The town is freaking out. You want to figure out what happens right away. So, like, I totally understand, like, the rush, obviously, to figure out what was going on. Um, So, basically, the funeral happened on Monday, January 4th. Um, the mass was performed at G- St. Joseph Roman Catholic Church, which is literally the church, like the big church by me. Yeah, um, it's huge. Um, six neighborhood boys carried out Marianne's casket to the church and then back to the house. Um, Mr. Mitchell literally had to physically hold his wife up because she wow. was so grief stricken. Um, there was people coming in and out all day, you know, giving their condolences to the Mitchell family. The entire um, school was, you know, at Marianne's funeral there, you know, supporting their friend. Um, And it was just a really, really sad day. Um, So that's basically like up until this point how the um, murder happened, how she was found, everything like that. And after the funeral, it just came down to they needed to figure out what happened. I was just going to say, who did it? Exactly. So during this whole time... Out of, you know, Marianne's case, a string of c- crimes had been happening in the Montgomery County area. So, more recently, there had been um, three girls who had been harassed and almost kidnapped um, that they had gone to the police and reported everything that happened. There is also a young woman who said she was sexually assaulted and tried to be abducted. Um, she also reported, you know, everything that was happening. And then, um, there was a car theft and arson that happened to the same family. So basically a family in Maniunk was at a, um, was at a party for Christmas and this happened the week of Christmas. They were at a party, a Christmas party. And, um, they, at the party, a fireman showed up saying, your house is on fire. So they went to the house, you know, the fireman, like, um, you know, did their duties, like put the fire fire out, um, was trying to salvage anything they could from the house. And the woman said, oh, like to the firefighters, did you move my car when like out front of the house when you got here? Because you know, my car is not there. Maybe you didn't want it to catch on fire. And they were like, no, we didn't move any car. Like when we got here, the car was missing. So that was a um, red flag to the police. So obviously the family's car had been stolen and the house was on fire and they um, deemed the house fire as arson because they couldn't figure out how inside, like anywhere inside, how it would have just naturally happened. Um, so basically during this time, there was a string of like, you know, Crime that were happening that wasn't usual, and so everyone was worried for that as well. So basically, how the how Captain Ferguson and his furry boys <laughs> decided to go about the case, which makes sense. They decided to look at a bunch of ex-cons, a list of ex-cons in the area who are living in the area that could match, you know, everything going on right now so this brings in elmo smith who was an ex-con who um fit the bill for captain ferguson um everything about his like criminal past and who he was um ferguson thought you know fit what happened to marianne and the other crimes that were happening in the area um so In 1948, Smith pled guilty to five charges of aggravated assault and battery with intent to criminally assault and five charges of burglary. He was sent to 10 to 20 years in prison, which um, he did. He did those um, those years in prison and now was out and living with his mother. Um, Just to give you a little description of Elmo he was said to be a pretty quiet guy but like really mildly mannered pretty nice kind of kept to himself things like that um but he did have a little bit of a crazy streak to him obviously all those crimes the aggravated assault burglary everything like that he did do um but at, from a statement from when he was first arrested he said i was taken to the narstown state hospital given truth serum and then I was returned to city hall and told I had confessed to all of the crimes that were committed. So he kind of was saying at first, he didn't commit any of these crimes and he was given truth serum. And then, um, <laughs> so something was definitely, off. something was definitely a little off, but, um, when he was like, when his sentence was up he had a um evaluation by a psychiatrist there and her report said right before he left prison he appears well oriented in all spheres no evidence of memory defects or confusion and no significant abnormalities so they thought you know he did his time everything was good he was released um so when ferguson read all this stuff about elmo um he was like okay This guy totally fits our bill. Like, let's go out, investigate, see if we can dig up any dirt on this Elmo guy. Yeah, and that actually makes sense because as I was reading some research, Mm -hmm. going back to what they found on Marianne's body. So if you guys remember, it was red colored lipstick Mm -hmm. written out, TB number 101. And then it also had a symbol. And the symbol looked almost like a um, a crescent moon with squiggly lines that rose up, almost looking like steam. Oh, like from uh, the arch over her pelvic that I said. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so that was technically th- – this is how they were kind of looking at it mm-hmm. as a symbol. And actually, it was a sign of St. Elmo, who was oh a my God. saint of sailors. Oh, my God. That's I didn't even know that. Right. So when they were going th- doing this research, they were thinking how else would – Elmo yeah know that this is a saint a sign of Saint yeah. Elmo they felt like it was too coincidental huh that's really interesting I didn't even know that yeah that makes total yeah well then I would after putting those two pieces together I would obviously think okay this is we got our guy Okay. That makes a lot of sense because then from there, after, you know, all of that happening, um, they decide to bring Elmo in for questioning and, you know, normal questioning, ask him about his whereabouts the night that Marianne was murdered. He denied that he was involved at all. He added, had an alibi. He was, you know, living with his mom and his mom confirmed that he was at home the night and they suspect that she was murdered around two 30 in the morning. And she, um, you know, kept up that elmo was at home with her at 2 30 in the morning that night he'd come home from work that night and stayed at home with her the rest of the night is what was said um so basically they did a little more digging into elmo after investigating him because they're like no this is our guy the mom must be looking out for him you know she just got her son back from prison she doesn't want him to go back like we we gotta look into this more so Elmo was a truck driver and they went to the place where you know he worked I guess like the truck rounds whatever it was and actually the stolen car that we talked just talked about from that family who actually was in Narstown um the stolen car that um that family lost the family with the fire was found at Elmo's workplace and um after investigating more They found out that there was a watch in the car that belonged to um, Mrs. Briggs, who was that was her name, the woman who owned the car. Um, she had a a really nice watch in the car that was actually broken. That's why it wasn't on her. And you know, since they were investigating Elmo, they were investigating anyone close to him in his life. And actually he had a girlfriend and when investigating with the girlfriend, they found that Elmo had given the girlfriend, the watch that was in the car. I bet he did not know it was broken. No, (laughs) um, definitely not the smartest, smartest, uh, tool. What's the word tool in the shed? Is that what it is? sharpest Sharpest. tool yeah whatever (laughs) not 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 a good move on almo's part but basically they caught him red-handed so they were like you stole this car it was at your work the um watch that was in the car you gave to your girlfriend as a christmas present like you did this um to not incriminate himself almo just said that he had found the watch on the street Mm. which like ew you yeah. filed a watch on the street and then gave it he to your girlfriend. It up. <laughs> um But with all this evidence, it made for it made um, Elmo Ferguson's number one suspect, and they also ended up identifying him as if you remember Anna when you were sharing Mm -hmm. about the three girls yeah who were almost abducted and harassed in Phoenixville the night before Marianne went missing Mm -hmm. those girls ended up identifying and picking Elmo out of the lineup yeah so he was like on a hot streak with Mm -hmm. all of these crimes right now exactly and it just so happens the woman who um said that she was sexually assaulted and was trying to be taken um the car that was stolen by Elmo that was found at his workplace is the same car that she identified. So they are like, he did all of these three crimes. He murdered Marianne. He tried to take those three girls and he sexually assaulted that other woman. So Ferguson was on his high horse. You couldn't touch him. He, there was no doubt in his mind. Elmo did this. And that was that, um, on Friday, January 8th, Elma Elmo was found guilty, but, he appealed the guilty verdict and said that, you know, um, Ferguson and the people in Montgomery County trying him, they were too close to the crime and there's too many emotions involved. And, you know, it shouldn't have happened in Montgomery County, the trial and everything. So they moved the trial to Gettysburg, the appeals trial. And on Tuesday, August 23rd, 1990 or 1960, the Gettysburg appeals trial happened. And on Monday, April 2nd, 1962. So two years later, three years after she was murdered, Elmo, um, Dies in an electric chair. He was found guilty again and sentenced to death. So wow. he died April 2nd in the electric chair. Um, I'm actually going to, I don't know why I found this kind of funny. I'm always interested in, you know, there's like, um, like people talk about like serial killers, like their last meal, what they request. Oh, yeah. I'll let you read what the um, plaintiff said. Uh, Elmo last meal was. Yeah. Okay. So this is from the book. Smith had been served liver and onions, potatoes, lima beans, peach shortcake, and coffee, just like the other inmates. Nothing special for Elmo. He didn't get a request of what he wanted for wow. um, for his last meal. Um, he was then, you know, taken to the room for the electric chair and died at 9:02 p.m. that night. And case solved, case closed. That's what everyone thought happened marianne mitchell elmo smith did it um captain ferguson got the right guy and everyone was was on a high but still left everyone a little freaked out that something like this could happen and it kind of really did shift the town's like idea of crime forever um now you know philadelphia is a pretty high crime area but back then it wasn't so case was closed that's what everyone thought happened now did elmo ever actually admit that he was guilty. So, this is this is where things get tricky. So, basically, a lot of people don't think Elmo killed Marianne. And really? yes, looking people who are, have been investigating the case, and actually, um, some uh guy who is part of the investigators unit, um, and from hit the day he was put on the case, did not think Elmo was um guilty, and. Always, it sat with him that like they could have killed an innocent man. So basically, the book that we're reading is this man who was part of the case. His daughter wrote this book about, you know, all of the reasonings why they think Elmo didn't do it. And there's a ton of evidence showing that um, Elmo wasn't the murderer. Really? Yeah. I feel like we just went through a pretty good amount of evidence. That means it could be him. You would think. So um um so yeah so basically a lot of people don't think that Elmo killed Marianne and we'll go through like the theory and like what everyone thinks happened. Um, So basically one, his mother's alibi saying that, uh, you know, he, he was at home with her all night and everything like that. And they did some interviews with his mom after the death and everything like that. And like, what do you think that like, you have a, a murderer for a son? Like, what do you think about this? And she was like, you know, I am a Catholic woman and I, you know, believe in God and, you know, all this is such a sin. And when Elmo went away for the first time for all of his crimes, you know, I he deserved it. I knew he had to be in jail. He needed to repent for his sins and it was like that's that. And if I truly thought that Elmo did this, I would not have, never have stuck up for him. I would tell the truth. I would, you know, I believe if you're a sinner then you need to pay for your sins she was like but I he was with me that night I do not believe he committed this crime I gave my statement that he was with me the thing that made this shaky was she didn't go to the trial in Gettysburg for him oh really which made which had conflicting beliefs for people you know maybe she just didn't want to be there it's out in Gettysburg at this time Gettysburg is far away it's close for us to get to it's about like what two hours away right. but at the time two hours away is a world's away and I'm sure she probably didn't have a car she probably lived in Roxborough mm-hmm. her entire life so she didn't go to the trial which like you know had some people felt some type of way about that but she made it very clear she had thought he had done this she never would have given a statement she wouldn't have gotten involved mm-hmm. like she's a, ma- a woman of her word um so that's one thing in his favor is the alibi and his mom really does seem like a trustworthy person next um the confession for elmo was never documented or signed by him oh yeah so if anyone doesn't know this um the philadelphia police department has had (sighs) its issues with lying and deceit for years now yeah (laughs) um philly has a Pretty it has corrupt. a history. Yeah. Philly has a pretty corrupt police department. And it's very likely, especially with the character that Captain Ferguson was, it was corrupt back in the 1950s as well. So um basically the the document was never signed. Um when he first came in for questioning, they do have, you know, typed up um what's the term called when you like an app for David. No, no. Um, like when you Someone – like, at like at the trial, someone's typing everything that – Oh, like, I, I know what you're talking about, but I'm yeah. horse-flanking on the name anyways, that person. Yeah, so, <laughs> anyway, someone was um, typing up, like, recording everything that was said in his first interview, where he denies, denies, denies. But the confession that apparently happened after, you know, a second investigation and, and second interview with him, apparently that's when he confessed – but there's no documented thing of Elmo ever confessing. Hmm. So it's just said in the trial that he confessed. That's it. There's no documents. So that's also fishy. Also, it was said that um, the three girls that he um, identified or that had identified him showing saying that he was the one who did it. There's no proof showing that they ever identified him. It was just said by Ferguson and the furry boys that he was identified by these girls. The girls were never brought to the trial. They were never brought to the original like trial in Montgomery County. They never sat for a statement. It was just said that they ID'd him in a lineup. So it sounds like there's a lot of like words, but exactly. no evidence to back it up, exactly. which would never fly nowadays. Exactly. Um, also, another big thing, obviously, you said it before, the last people to ever see Marianne were her friends and the two diner owners. Guess who was never questioned? The two diner owners. Really? They were that was never... one of the first things I said. I yeah. was like, you always kind of think about them. Exactly. They were never questioned by the police, not once. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it said, you know, it was said that she was supposed to get on that number seven bus. Well, it turns out that those two diner owners, it is known within the community that they said they watched with their own eyes her get on the number seven bus. And for Elmo to – for all this to have been, like, plausible, for Elmo to have been her killer, she couldn't have gotten on the bus. Wait. So, let me get this right. Yeah. So, the whole case on Elmo Mm -hmm. was that she never made it on that bus. No. He took her or – He picked her up. Got her before that happened. He picked her up in the stolen car on the side of the road, kidnapped her in that, you know, those two days of things, you know – raped her whatever took her away killed her it was an instant blow to the head and then brought her at 2 30 in the morning and then brought her body to the side of the road in that ditch where she was found but now we have these two diner owners who are saying that they can vouch that she got on the bus exactly wow yeah makes no sense exactly um so in order so if for elma to have killed her she had she couldn't have gotten on the bus and the diner owner's Said that she did. They watched with their own eyes. She got on that bus, so in their mind, she got home safely. That's what would happen. Yeah. Wow. And you know, I have another discrepancy that I remember learning too, and it was funny as you were saying it. I was like, I need, I need to bring this mm-hmm. up later. So you mentioned again that I keep going back to this, but it's because it's one of the most telling identifiers. Yeah. Someone wrote on her body, mm-hmm. TB number one hundred and one. Yes. So in the sources I've read, it was a cream colored lipstick that was written on her body. And all it was, was the letters TB, no number. And some sources say sometimes it was TB, and then it had, like, a crescent circle. Okay. And to be honest, and again, I am no expert detective of any sort, mm-hmm. I looked up St. Elmo to see, like, what the symbol looked like. Yes. Because, again, 1950s, there's not many photos of Marianne. Yeah. Especially in that state. Yes. Um, I, I couldn't find any symbol that resembled mm-hmm. what was described. Right. So interesting. Yes. Another thing is the woman who um, was said that she was sexually assaulted and then um, was tried to be kidnapped, but wasn't. Um, she said that the person who had committed her crime was in a light colored sedan, and that's what tipped them off. When they found the light colored, the stolen light colored sedan um, in like at, at Elmo's workplace, that was the connection to her was the color of the car. But it turns out later down the line, they actually found the actual guy who committed that crime against that woman. And he was in a two-toned, dark brown sedan. So it didn't even match the car that like linked him to that, that like crime spree that uh, uh, supposedly he said. So if Elmo didn't do it, Well, hold on. I have one more piece of evidence, and I think this is the most important one. So um, on December 31st, a missing piece of the garter belt um, Marianne was wearing was uncovered in Bridgeport, but not in Elmo's home. So you would think that it it was just like on the side of the road in Bridgeport, which is not where he was. If you think you were going to find that, you would either find it in the car or at Elmo's home, but it wasn't there. Also, the white socks that were bloodstained were all were found in the home of Elmo. But this they only found it when the apartment was searched for a second time. So the first time they searched the apartment Ah. after she had been murdered and found, they didn't see anything. And then for some reason, they were tipped off to go back. And the second time they went, they found it. Again, that kind of seems fishy. How exactly. How could we find something like bloodstained socks exactly. the first time? That's a pretty big piece of evidence to miss the first time around, especially if you weren't, like, going to be going back there. You were just tipped off. You know what yeah. I mean? So weird. So basically, there's a whole theory, and there's like, a big, um, like, to-do back in the day saying that a lot of people didn't think that Elmo did it. And it kind of caused controversy controversy in the town because some people were like poor Elmo you know he's being convicted of this crime and he didn't do it so there was like conflicting ideas on what happened with Marianne and what happened with Elmo so basically there is this theory that Elmo isn't actually the one who killed Marianne and um so basically up until this time you know it says that elmo confessed everything like that but elmo had his own theory and a lot of people think it made sense so up until his dying day when asked um, by like reporters and stuff who killed marianne mitchell uh, elmo said that it was thomas bryson um so thomas bryson isn't someone we've brought up but um in this theory, Thomas Bryson framed Elmo for the Narstown arson, like the house crunching on fire, and then the car burglary, everything like that. All of the events of like him being linked the to the like other crimes of like the assault for the um to to the women, um, all of them just kind of like naturally fell into place, which is kind of like a series of unfortunate events. But Thomas Bryson. He was the soon-to-be ex of Elmo's girlfriend. Oh. Yeah. So Elmo's girlfriend was not single. She was in a relationship with this Thomas Bryson man. And Thomas Bryson knew that she was, like, having an affair with Elmo. But he hadn't, like, confronted her about it yet. So he knew all this was happening. He knew who Elmo was. And because this girl, um, the girlfriend, Elmo worked for her dad at the truck place. Okay. So that's how she met Elmo. That's how they got together. So Thomas knew that he was, like, she was cheating on him. So in order to break the two of them up, he, in this theory, framed Elmo for all this. So basically it is said, or believed, that Thomas took the, um went to the that house, um set it on fire, stole the car, and dropped the car off at... Out the um, like truck place that Elmo worked at, and it was his hope that you know Elmo, being a criminal, he would see the car parked out front, like untouched for a few days, and then go up to it, look inside, see that it was unlocked, see that there is valuables in there, and you know steal it. So that was the theory that like he set up that plan, and the only way he would know if it was stolen was if he heard his girlfriend talk about like. Basically, he it worked out perfectly. If this is the case, he stole the car, seeing that there was the watch in it, set it up so that he it was like bait for Elmo. That Elmo would go up, see the car, see the watch, go in, steal things in it, and give the watch to the girlfriend. So one day, the girlfriend comes home, has a new watch on her wrist, and it's the watch that he recognizes from the. Um, the car and he says oh where did you get that and she said oh it was a gift from my father so he he knew that Elmo had to have given it to her and then in his in Elmo's statements Elmo did give it to her so that is true Elmo did technically steal things from this car but he didn't steal the car and he didn't commit the arson in this theory he stole the watch a couple other goods gave the watch to his girlfriend and that was that so basically people think that um set up Elmo for the arson and the stealing of the car. And then the rest of it just kind of fell into place. So they think that, you know, because of all these strings of, of like crimes and the whole car thing ended up being true. Cause he did, you know, steal some things from this car right. that that gave Ferguson the motive to tie him into everything else, tie him to the murder of Marianne Mitchell. And that's what happened. So the question is then who ki- killed Marianne Mitchell. Basically, the man who um you know thought that El- from the, the, El- the thought that Elmo was um innocent and that they had you know killed an innocent man thinks that the bus driver of that bus, A, Fra- Frank Talbot, um picked Marianne up that night was the only person on the bus. He took her, raped her, killed her stuffed her body you know he had all of this like um storage in the world on the bus to like have kept her and then just dumped her on the side of the road so they almost think it's like a random act of violence Mm -hmm. that just then got looped into something i guess frank talbot i guess he um I guess he had like, it was kind of a strange man and they had some like weird feelings about him to begin with. But the fact that, you know, all of the, this evidence was also against Elmo and they have the evidence that she did get on that bus and then was never found that they think um, the bus driver was the one who committed the murder. Well, people who, you know, believe this theory, think that that's what's happened. Wow. That's so crazy. What a twist. the whole, when I was reading everything about this, about how, thomas byron his girlfriend was the one dating elmo then i was like oh okay like this makes sense he is total motive to set him up for something like this see i thought you were gonna tell me it was thomas that was the murderer well now this is the thing that confuses me because on his her body it says tb TB. 101 right and then so if he did want to kill her he did tb 101 and then he draws saint elmo to make it think that That's interesting. Yeah. Like maybe he really, when he didn't get arrested right away Mm -hmm. from this fire and car theft situation, maybe he went a bit further. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We don't know. And we will never know because this, I mean, the case is marked as closed, but there's a lot of discrepancies within the case, obviously. So we really aren't sure exactly what happened to Marianne Mitchell. But I really think that Thomas Byron, I I mean, the TB on the body and the St. Elmo and everything like that, that's just too, like, I just don't know how you ignore that. And if it's the sketchiest part of all of this. And if Frank Talbot was the one who murdered him or who murdered her, I don't understand why he would write that on the body. No, and I feel like from my knowledge, like, Elmo, even in this now I'm going to quote-unquote confession that he wrote, which maybe he never did, he never had an explanation for TB-101. Like, no one has ever given an explanation of that, true or not. No, they just kind of – it was on her body, and that's that. But something weird like that, I feel like I don't know how you ignore that. And just the whole Captain Ferguson. I mean, I – obviously, it's no – secret that the philly police is pretty corrupt um or back in the day definitely at least right i just can't get over i just feel like the whole investigation of this thing was just so like miss like mistaken just not it's just done poorly and i understand the need to like want to figure it out quickly but it really just seems like Captain Ferguson, you know, they looked their ex-cons, Elmo came up, they looked into him a little further, they had their first, like, inkling of maybe a possibility, maybe some evidence, and they just ran with it. Yeah, and it seems, especially from the type of guy he was and how his team seemed, they were not the type of guys who lost cases yeah. or who didn't close them. Yeah. So it seemed like. Small town maniac, a lot of pressure to solve this with mm-hmm. a sweet 16-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did get involved with planning some of this evidence to make things tie up in exactly. a pretty hmm so interesting yeah so I don't know when I read this case I was just really intrigued I still find it like confusing we don't really know what happened but I just think the twist with Thomas Byron and like the different theories surrounding the case and you can look it up they literally have like there's still theories being added to this day of what could possibly happen they have Facebook groups about it like it's still like a very local town mystery and everything like that so I just found it really interesting um, and so I just wanted to bring the story of Marianne Mitchell and life for everyone. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for bringing this up. Yes. I think it definitely ends our Halloween spooky season week of mm-hmm. fears and frights and uh now crime podcast I know to an end right you got to live out your dream a little I bit did. did you did you feel like you lived out your dream a little? I love listening to these so mm-hmm. I feel like I'm literally like got yeah. a live action crime podcast I hope we gave Ashley flowers and <laughs> what's her face I hope we did them justice just a small nod <laughs> in their to crime junkies. <laughs> um, but we hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed Halloween week. And you are not going to be short on content because we're back at you next week with a new episode. Yeah. So stay tuned and thanks for hanging with us. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Girl Vibes Only podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stick around for more every Monday morning. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Girl Vibes Only, that's G R L Vibes Only, to stay up to date on our latest content and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. T T Y L X O X O, Girl Vibes Only.